0: Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Setup. I'm your host, Shubhang Shekhar, and our guest for today is Suhas Uriah. An industry leader working with Oracle and will be discussing intelligent business automation and evolution of digital experience in the last 20, 25 years. Suhas is a global VP at Oracle, responsible for multiple Oracle cloud services, including mobile conversational AI platforms, integration and intelligent process automations, strategy, vision and execution. He is a seasoned executive with years of technical and business management experience in enterprise applications and platform, digital experiences, cloud platforms, and machine learning with a successful track record as both an entrepreneur in small startups and an executive with major industry leaders. Suhas has held leadership positions with SAP, Motorola Solutions, Spring Wireless, Dextera, and Micromuse. Suhas, I am very happy to get this opportunity to discuss with you and your experience and learn a lot of things from you today. Welcome to the show, Suhas. Shubhan, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. (sighs) Wonderful, Suhas. So I think we've had a couple of discussions of late, so... I've been very eager to learn a lot, a lot about your journey, your experiences, and your learnings from the last 20, 25 years. So before we get into that, so could you give us a quick introduction into your journey in this industry?
0: Sure, Shabang. So I've been very fortunate that my career to date has been a great mix of startups and large companies. And even in the large companies I work for, like you mentioned, SAP, Motorola, even now Oracle, I've had the opportunity to work on almost like a startup within a large organization on really some cool, new, innovative, and transformative technologies. So when I put all that together, right, I think the thread that runs through all the teams is a drive to simplify and scale the connections between people, process, and systems. I refer to automation as sort of the perfect mix of bringing people, process, and connections together to create like engaging and truly delightful customer employee experiences. So I've always sort of looked at that, and I've always modeled my career and my team based on that. And I believe that the key to help people work in the application of the choice of the devices that they enjoy the most is while still maintaining a cohesive experience for everyone involved is extremely key, right? Uh, so if you're, if you're not going to use the application, there's no point investing in the application. And I have a saying which saying, the best interface is having no interface at all, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then rather than just thinking about great new cases for new tech, I've always challenged my team across my career to really put the customer and employee experience first, right? And that's what truly moves the needle for us. I mean, even in our our day-to-day life, it's all about making life simpler for us, as well as from the enterprise world, developers, architects, and stakeholders. Awesome.
1: so And along with the journey, so I'd like to understand a little bit about what are the kind of different experiences you've had at different teams or different organizations? Because you've been a leader for the last almost around 15, 20 years. So you would have handled different teams in different geographies. So how different was the learning
0: while handling different teams? So I think, you know, it's very important to understand cultural experiences and be respectful of time zone. I think the biggest challenge I would say is the time zone challenge. I mean, I work with, my have a team in Australia to India to Europe to the US in pretty much all continents, right? So understanding, first of all, cultural differences, respecting that, understanding the time zone differences, those are all very critical in, first of all, building that team spirit starts with understanding people, right? But I've always encouraged my people to start and end with thinking about what a killer experience would look like, right? It's to sort of go beyond the constraints of what you know, and but at the same time, not be so way out there. I mean, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, can you predict the future, <laughs> right? It's not really about predicting the future uh, because, you know, we're all very bad at predicting what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone five years from now. But really asking the question, what do you think will be different in the future, right? Again, thinking about expanding your capability and your capacity to think beyond that, right? So instead of instead sort of I ask them to focus on things most of us do every day to play and work, imagine ways to apply the best available technologies to make them more fun. It sounds simple and it is, (laughs) but it's like the evolution of NLP and intelligent automation. It's it's not quite easy, right? So I would say that, you know, understanding people, respecting time zones, understanding cultures, and also really giving them clear, quantifiable objectives right? That's very important. As people ask about my leadership style, I say it's one of adapt and adopt. It depends on the circumstance. So I go from being a visionary leader to a results-oriented leader, all depending upon what is needed at that time. Well, this is great because as I mentioned earlier on the call, so there's so much of
1: learning that's going to happen for me as well as the audience. So I think these are some of the great points that you just mentioned. Going dive deep into that, one thing is that I've known you've seen the transition of AI, or I'd say the whole intelligent systems or computers mm-hmm. transforming in the last 30 years. So out of all of that, is there any one product that really stands out in your mind in those initial days? And why did it catch your attention? That's
0: a great question, Shubhang. It's it's almost like you know I have two daughters, and you're going to ask me to pick which was my favorite daughter. So as I said, right, my career, I've been very fortunate that I haven't In my entire career, I've always sort of created something new and transformational. And you can say that I'm very lucky, but I truly do consider myself to be lucky to be at the right place at the right time. So to answer your question directly, I would say what I'm working on right now at Oracle with conversational AI and intelligent automation with what we call the Oracle Integration Cloud, I think that's that's really truly outstanding. And I'll tell you sort of why it's outstanding is because I made a comment earlier saying the best interface is having no interface at all. I'm sure you use a lot of applications in the past, and I'm sure that most of our viewers too. And we always sometimes scratch our head and say, what were they thinking when they built that interface? Why is it so hard, right? Mm-hmm. And you're never going to get everyone happy and please everyone when you see some sort of an application interface, right? But conversational AI, which is sort of one of the products I work in Oracle Digital Assistant truly sort of changes that narrative, right? Because I can literally talk to my application the the way I'm conversing with you. And from an enterprise perspective, even for a consumer, to be able to sort of check on, hey, what's the status of my order? Or I bought something and it's still not here. And when can I get my refund? I can just literally ask that in the way I am thinking and I'm speaking and be able to use integration to be able to go get this in a very effective way from the enterprise systems. And so really opening that up, right? So that is still for me in um, AI and some of the work that's going on in deep learning is truly fascinating. But just to put a plug for other really cool stuff I worked on, my first career move was doing network management or service level management during the dot-com boom days. But what was really exciting and interesting about that was we built a in-memory database back in 93, 94, wow. doing event correlation using what was then, I mean, now what today we call AI, it was rudimentary machine learning at that time to be able to look at patterns of events and correlation to be able to predict root cause and predict sort of when your network would go down. So we did that in in the early 90s and then moved my career to build the first mobile platform, which again, that was truly transformative because now you've got to have data on the palm of your hands. And this is way before... Steve Jobs announced the iPhone and the Android world exploded. So this is back in 2000. And before we, you know, the world knew about this whole connection of things, I was at SAP leading the Internet of Things, looking at how we would interconnect all of this. So as I said, it's hard to pick your favorite child, and that's how I feel. But I think the kind of benefits that we can bring to the world today with conversational AI and and make it inclusive of the entire population is what really excites me. This is
1: perfect. What are all these things? So I think I want to kind of dive deep into one specific element that you mentioned. So at Oracle, you've been working around intelligent automation and NLP. So can you take
0: us through that journey a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, Chubang, we often refer in mankind to the seven seven stages of human maturity, right? You have infancy, Mm -hmm. your school years, your teenage years, your young adult, middle age, and dot age when you didn't go and retire, right? So I would say AI is somewhere there in that journey, right? If we're never done, we always see some really cool, awesome stuff happening, right? If I take a step back, right, I think the first true NLP work was done right after World War II, roughly in the 1940s. And then in 1966, if I remember correctly, there was a solution that came out called ELISA, E-L-I-Z-A which really mimicked human conversations. And in 1988, I believe Jabberwocky was like the first attempt in creating a human, actually, you know, <laughs> representing a human in the artificial intelligence wow. form. And 1995, the first sort of chatbot, if you write using NLP built, I think it was called Alice, I think, that could really have mm-hmm. a conversation with you, right? And, you know, we had a little bit of a low between 1995 until 2015, I believe, is when Alexa was released. And this assured just a new explosion of virtual assistants, right? So NLP or natural language processing sort of has really evolved. But I think we are probably in the young adult phase of that seven stages of human maturity, I would say, where there is a ton of amazing innovations coming in terms of the machine learning models and the deep learning models, things like uh, GPT, you know, GPT-3, OpenAI, BERT models and transfer learning. And these things really get us to a point where we can truly become multimodal in the way we can interact with data, right? And I don't know if you were a Star Trek or a Star Wars fan, and when you sort of look at, for example, Star Trek, and you look at the, what are the ship, the command, the ship, the Enterprise, you have humans talking to humans and humans talking to aliens <laughs> who are in the ship, as well as sort of, you know, humans talking to machines, machines talking to machines, Right. right. And that is sort of where we believe that we are reaching that pinnacle where we truly can truly be multimodal, where automation becomes a conversation between people and systems. And that is also where we drive a lot of intelligent automation. So where we're headed is to provide like more situational awareness for digital workers so they can be more generally helpful in human application interactions, right? And that's sort of where intelligent automation comes in. So we talk about augmented AI, right? What that basically means is that AI without human intervention, in my opinion, is headed for disaster, right? That we need to coexist. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'll make a point. I don't know if you've had a chance. There's a video series called The Goodfellows. It's mm-hmm. run by the Hoover Institute. There was a particular session or webcast that was done with Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google. And I highly encourage you to look at it and for the viewers to... Listen in. I think it's available on YouTube. And Mm -hmm. he made some very interesting comments, which is you can get AI to be very smart to make decisions based on the kind of signals that at the end of the day, the humans provide, right? If the humans provide the wrong signals, AI is just going to give you the wrong answer or do the wrong thing. So in other words, if you have AI decide whether to launch a missile on a counterattack based on the signals Mm -hmm. it's got without a human intervention, is that right or wrong? Now, I'm not getting into a course of ethics or anything, but do you completely rely on the human race's existence based on a machine deciding for yourself whether it should launch a counterattack? It could be the wrong signals. It could be something else. It could be who knows what condition we haven't seen, right? So while AI and all that is really headed in an amazing direction, there is sort of the human augmentation, which is quite critical into that. And then what I also believe is that API led application and data integration synchronized all these many systems to really help in this end to end process. So automating and combining workflows involved makes sort of life simpler for everyone involved. So that's where natural language processing and all that is really helping you drive the intelligent automation use cases.
1: This is amazing, to us. You've been talking about how AI or ML cannot be successful or cannot evolve without the human interference. So how, how about like we discuss a little bit about integration of people, technology and services to create a successful product? Because I think you've been working around the similar goal at Oracle. So could you talk about like how we integrate those elements?
0: yeah so ultimately you know for ai especially with deep learning right and you may have heard this uh spoken by many leaders that data is a new oil or the data is a new currency and what i would say is the deep learning algorithms and self-learning algorithms have really sort of reached a new phase in the world of that maturity of ai right but in order for that to really truly be effective it is the data that makes a difference and so we also refer to it as data is a new programming language for AI, right? It's no longer data scientists going and building a lot of algorithms. Yes, that'll continue, but mm-hmm. it's getting much more democratized where it's getting a lot more easier to consume sort of these AI APIs, if you like. And what's driving that AI API behavior is data, right? But what does data really mean? I can't just take like data in a database, feed it to AI and say, oh, here you go, make hay out of it, right? Someone has to clean it up, has to label it, and make sure that it's in the context in the right way for the machine to interpret the data for your use cases, which means that that's sort of where the human involvement comes in, right? So, first of all, the human involvement is very critical as part of this overall pipeline process to make sure that the data that you've collected is clean, it's actually labeled in the right way. So then you can learn from it. And then, even transfer learning, which is Essentially, the mechanism by which you learn from a certain model and inference another set of use cases through that model, right? So you're transferring your learning from one model to the other. But the basis of all that is a human or a set of humans that are able to really truly identify and label the data right. And the other area as well is I always believe that it's also validation, right? So we call it reinforcement learning, where it's, you know, when you grow up, you learn something and you want to make sure that you have the approval of your Elders or your colleagues to make sure you learned it the right way, right? So similarly, you know, as we look at this, as we allow things to get more autonomous, is the human involvement to make sure that yes, what you it's like a reward system, right? If you do it right, I'll give you a candy, right? It's almost like telling the machine that, which is, hey, yes, you got it right, but then be able to also be involved as part of the exception handling process, right? So it reminds me of a of a joke that I heard when I was doing my Internet of Things someone had forecasted that the factors of the future will basically consist of one man and a dog. And the dog is there to make sure that the man doesn't get involved and make mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) But jokes aside, this is where the humans being part of the oral value chain from a validation, but also from an input perspective is very critical. Amazing.
1: And though we have discussed about the human part of automation, so could you talk a little bit about probably the last two or three years of effect that has had on this industry or in terms of automation. So currently we are in this phase of COVID and mm-hmm. we're still trying to make sure that it sub-sub uses and probably like vanishes at one point of time. So could you talk a little bit about the digital life transformation since COVID and the human part of that automation around
0: that? Yeah, I think that the, from a technology and from a work perspective, I think the biggest shift that happened with COVID is of course working from home, Right. And working from home, it's not only impacted sort of the enterprise day-to-day life, but also the way you service your customers, right? Because your customers are also either at home. And so online stuff has just expanded beyond belief, right? And so the biggest shift that our customers have seen is the pivot to digital engagement first. So the whole digital transformation process has just accelerated by whatever big portion, but everything has gone digital, right? And even in areas where we've sort of started making, I don't want to use the word compromises, but we've been able to be flexible and rethink, for example, telemedicine, right? I mean, mm-hmm. no one, yes, I mean, with, you have to still go to the hospital if you have COVID and all that stuff. But if you look at other states, so like simple sniffles or a pain, you would still go in person and go to the doctor, right? But even in this this current world where things are in certain countries or certain regions are close to normal or or not as bad is probably the word term I would use or even in a post COVID world, telemedicine is here to stay, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's helping drive down costs. You know, for me, it's happened to many times when I'm, I'm on calls, I have, a, I have a doctor appointment. Suddenly, I remember, oh my God, I've got a doctor's appointment. I've got to rush and I'm late, right? There's no concept of being late here, right? Right. <laughs> so these things and include and you can take any vertical from retail to finance, right? Everything has sort of gone digital. But just 16% of executives say that their company digital transformation is succeeding. And so why is that? It's basically because they haven't really thought through the right architecture of what needs to get done. Right? right enterprise systems are not architected in a way where you can just plug and play right they they're going from a lot of i mean think about going from analog to digital that's that's the level of transformation we're talking about here but and right. so it's the onus is on vendors like us to make it as simple as like a smart home i mean you know today your tv is smart your thermostat is smart, your doorbell is smart, you have cameras, security cameras are smart, your fridge is smart. But just think about when you bring this into your house. I mean, with IoT, my house is completely connected to the internet. But you bring something in, in, the ease at which you can integrate this into Alexa, right? I can say, hey, Alexa, turn on my porch lights on, right? Alexa, Mm -hmm. turn my TV off, right? Yeah, this is making me lazy. But what I'm trying (laughs) to get to is the ease of plug and play that you have. And we need to be able to get that because we do believe that those that the digital leaders that have transformed are seeing almost a two, about a 1.8% higher earnings in their growth than digital laggards, right? It's almost double the growth in the total enterprise. So it really comes down to like how many new product releases or widely successful marketing campaigns would it take to match that level of growth if you're not digital, right? And mm-hmm. the growth really comes from the speed that new innovations can be scaled back to better customer and user experiences. And then what I would say is back to the analogy I gave about the smart home, speed really depends on design, right? The right architecture. It is more important than ever for our customers to architect the foundation of their digital business for this kind of explosive growth. So COVID has really sort of made us think about all these important things. Perfect. I do agree
1: with that because there's been pros and cons with COVID or like whatever the effects that we've seen around. So I do like feel that okay, there's so much of changes that is brought into the action because of COVID. And we're trying to see the different way of life just because of that. So yeah, keeping that in mind. So we're towards the end of the show, so so we normally ask a couple of other questions to our all our guests. So the first thing is that is there any book, blog, newsletter
0: or a website that you would recommend to our listeners? I would look at that video that I mentioned earlier, the The Good Fellows by you know the Hoover Institute. Mm-hmm. They have some very interesting videos and blogs. In terms of book, a couple of interesting books that has really helped me that are sort of more digital transformation related. So The New Digital Age that was written by Eric Schmidt and Jared Cohen, I believe. A really fascinating book. And I like leading digital, turning technology into business transformation. I think that was written by George Westerman, Didier Bonet, and Andrew McAfee. The The other one, which is sort of a little bit more personal to me, this is not sort of very technology driven, but something that really changed the way I think. You know, like I mentioned earlier, right, it's one of the biggest challenges that we put on ourselves is we try to live in the past and try to live our past in the future. And we don't live in the moment. But living in the moment and making decisions means sort of breaking your habits, of the past. Yeah. And the one book that's really helped me is the author who wrote about evolving your brain, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And the book was Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And it's how about how about sort of you, if someone just said, hey, you know, what if you were able to keep all the good memories that you have and then delete everything else and start new, <laughs> right? And, and, and this is more yeah. sort of help you drive, yes, it helps you in your day to day life, but definitely from a business perspective, right? So those are some of the things, but you know, there are some blogs and videos that i have created with some of the leaders from analysts like gartner for instance i built uh, some videos on what we refer to the digital integration hub i can send you a link on that there are very few people that i follow but you know elon musk is definitely someone that i've followed quite a bit just to see all the cool oh, stuff is doing and of course the and i watch out for what's happening in the world in the industry in general
1: that's interesting to us. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Elon as well. Before we end the social house, I had one question to ask you. Uh, that's kind of uh, very interesting and close to me. So in the next five to 10 years, how do you vision or how do you see the AI to be transformed? Or what is the kind of level of involvement
0: AI could have in RDP activities? I think this may be a really poor analogy, but I'm going to give it anyway. <laughs> We're going to just live with COVID right? Okay. It's not going to disappear. See, for COVID to survive, it needs to figure out how to live with a human. And for us to live, we got to figure out how to adapt to COVID, <laughs> right? Yep. In the same. So in other words, COVID is just going to be there and we're just going to get on with our life. And AI is going to be that way. I don't want to say AI is a virus by any means. I don't mean to be derogatory, because <laughs> yeah, that's my livelihood. But the point I'm trying to make is AI will be everywhere where we see it's going to be. In fact, I was having a very interesting conversation with my my daughter who's who's interested in doing something in AI. She's going to be going to college next year, or actually this summer. And we were just talking about, as I grow old and I retire and I need help, the conversation we're having was, hey, will you be around to help me if I need help? And of course, our answer was, yes, dad. But I was just thinking about, you know, the kind of advancements we're seeing in robotics and in AI, that the cost of healthcare, the cost of sort of in your adult homes, for instance, or for the aged, you know, how that could actually help. Because one of the biggest problems we have in the world today is human power, right? People don't want to do certain jobs. And we are going to see human power go down in those areas. So, you know, AI, I believe, along with a whole bunch of things like robotics, and, and so on and so forth, is going to really make life better for all of us. And it's going to be there in everything we touch and feel today, right? So, and yeah, there are always going to be some repercussions of it, but I think there'll be more positive than than negative. Of course, it's like anything else; in the wrong hands, anything can go bad. But I remain very optimistic about how it's going to change the world. And you know, who knows in the future? Maybe I'll be broadcasting from Mars. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, help
1: us. <laughs> <laughs> truly amazing. I think I've had a great time talking to you today, Saws. So I, I mean, it's a, it's truly a pleasure to have
0: you as a guest on our show. Any other quick thoughts before we end the show? No, I think I said everything and it was. I really enjoyed being on your show and uh, thank you for uh, making time. It was fun
1: chatting with you. The pleasure is ours, Thank you so much for coming on the show once again. I look forward to connect with you soon. And I think there's a last question. So, How can actually our
0: audience connect with you after this recording? My Twitter handle is probably the best at S-Uliar. So at initial S-U-L-I-Y-A-R. That's
1: probably the best. Awesome, Sus. Wonderful. Then thank you for coming on the show once again. You're
0: very welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.